Good afternoon, and welcome to Imaging Providers Through a Pandemic, where we were, where we are, and where we're going, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Vital, a Canon Group company, and Paragon Consulting Partners. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name's Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We welcome uh, your participation. Uh, send in your questions and comments in the Q&A box, and we will take those later in the program. Just so you're going to see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to get a joint presentation from Eric Rice, Senior Consultant with Paragon Consulting Partners, and Larry Sitka, VP Enterprise Applications with Vital. So without any further delay, we're going to jump right into the presentation. Eric, I believe we're going to start off with you, so take it from here. All right, very good. Thank you so much, Anthony, for the introduction, and thank you to all of you that are, are logging in and joining the webinar today. So it's certainly been an unprecedented time with COVID. And, uh, you know, as all, all of us, you know, are either on the provider side or we're all patients or we're a vendor working for providers, it's, it's been a, a, an interesting six months. And uh, Larry and myself and Anthony thought we would take some time to, to talk through what, what, uh, what some of those <clears throat> aspects are. So just kick it off here. I think this graph is probably a, a similar representation at many providers out there across the United States. Uh, this graph is showing procedure volumes from roughly the beginning of February or, or from the beginning of February through March as, as cases of COVID ramped up in the United States. Uh, and it's a week by week. So obviously there's dips every weekend, but then as we head, headed into March, you know, volumes really, really ramped down. Um, I will say I, I do know at some of our some of our clients and some of the sites I, I work with, you know, I, I, I pretty much think volumes went down in every aspect except for maybe a single single view chest x-ray. Um, you know, and I think we've all lived it. We probably all know it very well. But but with this, you know, and Larry may I ask too, you know, what metrics are we seeing coming out of healthcare organizations as we have progressed through COVID? Thanks, Eric. Yeah, we've, we saw initial ramping down, shall I say, to as low as 20%, meaning the 20% annual volumes that we're actually seeing year over year. That has now not only come back, if not, you know, to the 90, 100% level, uh, we even see organizations that have exceeded it, you know, going inside of 110%. Um, and that's pretty much through and through from not just only imaging services, but all the ancillary services that are affiliated with it, you know, typically, you know, the OR, especially, which is the big moneymaker for most of the providers. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I think through this too, you know, I think practices, uh, yeah, just, just some metrics. I, you know, I've heard from more than one physician, uh, you know, that I think patients were concerned with going in to get their care, and and when they were showing up, the symptoms, the uh, the ailment that the patient has, you know, is much more severe because they're not showing up for the mini stroke, they're not showing up for the the, the early signs because they're afraid to come into the hospital and get care as well. Um, and and you know, and building on that too, I think. You know, because of this, you know, uh, 
practices are having to take, uh, you know, make tough calls. I, you know, PTO was encouraged uh, and, and many radiologists furloughed, um, you know, during, during those times and, and so forth. So, and, and I think we've seen too, even you know, across the country, some practices are actually going up for sale. So, yeah, yeah on, you're right, Eric. The, the, in essence, COVID didn't break healthcare, you know, to your colleague, uh, my colleague, Jeff and I, he's got a great quote, right? COVID didn't break it. It was broke. Now it's actually exposing what was broken. You know, the, the concept of, if you, if you look at the waveform that, you know, you had on the screen there about before and now during, and if you look at after, it's almost like a heartbeat effect where we went into arrhythmia and now we have a restart. So we have to actually look at, you know, what we were doing, what we were doing wrong, the severity of the patients, right? When they were showing up in the hospital is far greater now than it would have before. You know, one of the comments that I heard out of a physician was he used to see two to three mini strokes every single night. Now he doesn't see any. And when he does, it's too late, right? It's just too late. So we've, We've convinced the patient population to stay home, and that has to change, specifically on not just electives, but preventatives, right? And, and was shutting down preventative services a wise thing is yet to be determined, so. Yep, very good. So move, moving on here, actually, to the next slide, <clears throat> you know, I think one, one term that was not very often talked about prior to 2020 uh, was RR, not rest and relaxation, but revenue recovery, um, you know, and, and, and as, as practices were ratcheted back, um, you know, and, and, and as, I've, as I've already kind of made note to, you know, practices were having to make tough decisions around furloughs and PTOs and early retirement. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, most practices were at operating capacity prior to COVID and, you know, there's a lot of radiologists that have gone on early retirement, you know, as things are ramping back up, as you've already made comment to Larry, uh, it'll be interesting to see how these practices get back to pre-COVID or even beyond pre-COVID volumes as they're trying to catch up and recover on some of this revenue. And I, I think, you know, technology and, and, and identifying efficiencies, both in operational workflows uh, and, and even AI, uh, to some extent, you know, could be part of part of the solution to how um, uh, how these practices, you know, start to again catch up, get the catch up done, and, and recover. And again, doing that maybe with less radiologists and less fewer resources. Yeah, you, you're you're again, you're spot on, Eric. The in essence, the radiologists specifically moved home. Right. For, for the right reasons, by the way. Right. They're a critical resource. They're a very limited resource. Uh, we also saw the same thing in telepathology. Right. The pathologists actually moved home. Right. So the ability to, shall I say, take a step back and actually look at, you know, the physician moving out of the four walls of the organization and moving into their home based offices, you know, created a whole new set of, of challenges, you know, and I actually don't see the radiologists going back in most cases. 
they have now the ability to the comfort of their home. They're being, they're using it as a recruiting tool, right? So they're in a safe environment, a, uh, a calm environment. You know, they don't have to do the drive-in anymore. So they actually have more time, which increases RVUs when you actually can do more reads. And more importantly, the, um, <clears throat> there's a safety factor you know, with those radiologists in terms of their exposure for, uh, for COVID. Yeah, very, very true. And actually, if I move to the next slide here, I think we got some interesting metrics around, around some of the, the migration to the home. Let's see if I can get into progress here. You know, in, in radiology, it's been reported that 65% of reading groups have installed new workstations, you know, through this time in the pandemic. Uh, with 73% of reading groups now actually scheduling, you know, seat assignments from home during normal working uh, days and hours. You know, certainly that's that's not that wasn't uncommon before COVID with uh, with with the need to cover off hours and so forth. But now during normal hours, when traditionally radiologists have been coming into the reading rooms, you know, they are being scheduled seats. So, you know, I think spot on. Spot on, Larry. You know, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I do think there are some, as you highlighted, there are some efficiencies. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard more than once from a radiologist talking about interrupted workflow and the number of interruptions. And, um, you know, now maybe the interruptions from the dog needing to go outside or something. But, but uh, you know, it's a different, it's a different work environment for um, how you work from home. You know, and I think you're looking at this question here, you know, what is important? For the radiologists work from home and I, and I will say one aspect to that you know I think more important now than ever is that technology platform for how you image enable the the home reading room um, you know and actually Larry I don't know if you have any have any comments about the technology and what what may be important for um, for, for that technology to sit at home yeah we we've actually if you if you roll back the the decades right and the in the 90s, you know, the late 80s, 90s, it was the, the days of the workstation, right? The days of the thick client. And then 2000 to say 2020 is the what's typically called thin client server-side rendered based viewing solutions and data streaming to the desktop, how, where everything was actually rendered in the data center and then shipped basically just through image streaming to the desktop for a physician. That that worked fairly well in the in the four walls or where an organ, a location where you were connected with a workstation with low latency. One of the things we've been now seeing typically is when these doctors move home, you know, if you run trace routes, you can actually see four hops just to get into, you know, the hospital infrastructure. So we're seeing latencies, you know, 50 to 100 milliseconds round trip. Well, so what that meant is we had to come up with a means for the reason everybody went server side was PHI protection, right? In a thick, in a thick client model, you'd push data to the workstation, it would cache it there, and then the physician would read directly from there. However, that exposed data on the disk and made it accessible for PHI breach. So what we have is a, I call it the hybrid thick client, right? Where it's a client that runs basically inside of, of, of memory and memory only. So it pushes images inside of memory and memory only. 
And therefore, when you close it out, there is no PHI written to the disc on the disc at any point in time. It also squeezes out that latency, right? In particular, what we were seeing is a lot of the, a lot of the, the physicians were competing with, with the online education for their children. So in other words, the same network was actually being used or leveraged for, you know, like we're doing, right? WebEx-based viewing, which consumes a lot of the bandwidth on Wi-Fi-based, you know, implementations. So moving towards a, you know, a, a client that allows you to cache in memory. The other shift that we've seen is, I'll call it the movement away from a work list. So in other words, not having, you can see the list of, of elements or list of studies that you actually, you know, have to read, but the movement away from actually having to go pick one of those and then wait for the latency of the download, meaning just have a solution that you go read, 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 and then pause to take a break, read, 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 pause to take a break, is becoming the new norm. It's definitely increasing the RVU counts, and we're seeing a dramatic increase um, at a lot of our sites that are using that philosophy where, you know, they're able to actually meet that demand of 110 to 115%. You know, yeah. the, other, the other side effect is the, there's this, when, when humans see a queue in front of them or a list, there's this fatigue that gets created as they see this list and know they have to process that list. Yeah, By taking that list away, it actually removes the queue fatigue and lessens the queue fatigue. So we've also heard that out of these scenarios. Yeah, yeah. it's nice to know there's a finish line and not be overwhelmed by a never-ending list. You know, I, I think getting to your the viewer topic too. I you know I definitely think you know the more not modern technologies available to radiologists now are so much smarter about as you pointed out the kind of hybrid streaming approaches where it's 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 doing some work on the server but uh but they're not having to go back to the server every time you do change window width window level or you flip and rotate and zoom you know there there's some hybrid approach to the rendering on the on the on the client so it's a mix you know and that that really does help i think with uh, latencies, you know, latencies really affect you or affect the end user quite a bit when there's all these connections having to be made. Every connection gets hit with that latency and, and uh, you know, can really affect the viewer. You know, you know, you're, you're right, Eric, they, they, it drives the radiologist crazy, you know, the, and I call them hyper scrollers, right? They, they either use the arrow key or they use the, the mouse wheel and they go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And you can actually watch the image lag behind, or when you do a mouse movement, the image lags behind. And that's the latency typically from the home-based environments without such uh, you know, a hybrid approach. Right, right. And it only gets worse when the kids are watching Netflix. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think something else that's been interesting we've seen at, at uh, some of our clients is, is the use of messaging. Although volumes during COVID went down, we're seeing messaging tools. So IMing tools and so forth being much more heavily utilized. Um, you know, obviously you can't, you can't swivel chair to your neighbor in the reading room to ask a question. So, you know, having the tools off your work list or off of your viewer or, or wherever it may be there to assist you in communicating with the technologist, you know, maybe you need a different angle or a different, uh, you know, a different view of some anatomy or, or asking a colleague to, 
you know, collaborate on a, a difficult case. Uh, but definitely, I think technology, you know, we have to stream the image efficiently at home to get it home, but we also need some way of communicating with our colleagues um, and, and the team that really helps provide the care. Yeah, we've seen a dramatic jump in the virtual consultation, you know, that not only the physicians, but physician and patient, you know, the ability to, because in essence, it, it could be a general practitioner even that's actually doing a virtual consult, you know, with a patient while they're in their home is the other concept, right? Being able to show images from a general practitioner instead of, uh, uh, you know, a radiology specialist. So still using the imaging services and then still running from home, but using different type technology. Yep, very good. All right, move, moving on, if, if all right, Larry, move to the next slide. Yep. All right, this is somewhat a, uh, I think a philosophical question, but expect the unexpected, you know, it's tough to, you know, train our brains to expect this new norm of we're not sure what's going to happen next week, you know, especially as state and federal policies and guidelines and everything else are, are, are constantly changing, you know, how do we, how do we kind of prepare for this and, you know, not, not, you know, there, there is definitely human, human workflow and operational uh, readiness, you know, I think that needs to be put in place. But again, I do think technology can play a, a strong role role in this and and as a, as i was just talking about actually just messaging and communication you know communication with the patient you know having ha having practices and their ability and technologies to be able to communicate with the patient and with the operational staff and and you know with with colleagues colleague physicians and so forth you know can certainly play um can certainly play a, a big role in how you're managing the waiting room and how you're notifying patients of need to reschedule or 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 we're going to do a home visit or we're going to do a, a virtual home visit today or whatever it may be. But Larry, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, actually. That? So typically, IT is one of the places inside of healthcare providing organizations that gets cut. Right, it's usually first thing in the chopping block. However, what we're seeing is the only way to move towards this, I'll call it virtual care type of service, is through an IT-based enhancement. So now, not only did COVID you know, expose the challenges that we have in, in messaging and in notification, but just the IT challenges you know, that we're facing. You know, we're, we're seeing, um, and I think this is a lot caused because the, the, the organizations have spent so much money and so much focus on EMR inside the four walls. Nobody really expected, you know, for everybody to, in essence, go home and then continue to do their, you know, their jobs. So I think the new norm going forward will, since COVID exposed the lack of IT and IT funding, you're going to see more, um, involvement, I'm hoping from the federal government in terms of, you know, payments and cost sharing and, and driving or leveraging these, they spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars on HIEs and being able to leverage those for sharing and sharing content going forward. I also see that there's a, of course, before COVID, we were having this shift from 
you know, the CMS meaningful use re reimbursement towards interoperability. And interoperability is a, a big word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different organizations. I think COVID actually explains why uh, COVID broke healthcare, you know, and what interoperability changes will actually uh, be supportive going forward. So, yeah, good points. Uh, moving on to the next slide. You know, over the past two decades, the the uh, data managed by healthcare organizations on average is, is just about eight and a half petabytes of data, and that's up 878 percent since 2016, which is quite significant. Um, and, and a lot of it attributed to the consolidation of healthcare data with the rollout of EMRs and VNAs and, and so forth. Um, you know, how, how, and Larry, I'll kick it off with you, but how do you think this has affected uh, the response of providers to COVID? Again, I think it's proving the point, right? The healthcare solutions and systems that we have are not deemed ready for real-time healthcare. Gardner actually has a, um, a magic quadrant called real-time healthcare. And I believe the next movement from VNA, right? VNA was all about persisting data. And, you know, what, in other words, taking it in, cleaning it out, normalizing it, creating a standardized canonical data model. There's a new concept or a new user coming into play, and that is AI. So typically the user in our space has always been human, right? Humans store things, find things, they move things. They go away for lunch, they go home at night, you know, the system sits idle. When, when you introduce AI into or machine and, and data-driven uh, environments and they start to collide with our, what are typically human and clinical-driven workflows, one is going to quickly overwhelm the other. So, and I think we've seen that inside of what happened here with COVID. The statistics were coming in so fast, they soon became inaccurate. And, you know, the, unfortunately, humans are humans, right? Media is media. We all latched on to what we could just for the headline. And we share that across social media, et cetera. Unfortunately, you know, that's, it's had some positive, but it's had some negatives, right? It's had some overreaction, some definitely underreaction in some of the cases. I would actually like to look at the next part of, we focus primarily on, on imaging. We think of typical modalities, but I believe the new modality or the new user is actually AI in itself. And then more importantly, what it's going to do to leverage, you know, wearables, internet of things, and then specifically genomics and genetics as we drive these, you know, as healthcare moves from, you know, a care-based to a preventative-based approach. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, I agree. I think there's an exciting new time coming. I, 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 will, I will say on this particular metric and question, you know, I think our ability to, there are certainly, there are certainly things that are broken with the system, but I'm glad, maybe that's not the right word, but I'm glad we went through COVID now and not 20 years ago, because you know the, the ability to deliver care would have been even more difficult uh, without the investment that providers have put into 
you know, making the data accessible, at least within their own walls and their own uh, viewers and EMR, you know, systems and so forth. You know, I think it has been an enabler to, um, because it was done, you know, radiologists were able to move home and, and progress in that way. You're um, correct, Eric. You know, the, the other thought is that we're going to have to, if I'm thinking as a provider, I'm going to have to come up with a way to convince the patient to come back, you know, convince the patient to come back for their, you know, every three or every five year colonoscopy, convince them to come back for their, you know, annual checkup, right? We're just starting to get people used to that as a recurring event. And, you know, I think people will actually specifically, you know, the elderly will start to try, they'll stay away. You know, I see it with my parents, right? My parents don't want anything anywhere near a hospital or a physician. And I'm the one that actually has to, you know, take them in and say, hey, you have to do this. You have to continue it. Right. Yep. No, get, yeah, it's family can help. And, you know, I think that's a role the provider to some extent too. actually not, you know, both for patient care, but going back a few slides around revenue recovery, recovery. Um, actually, I heard not my term, someone else's term, but I, I heard uh, someone refer to 2021's, you know, March through June as being, uh, you know, the winter of mammography screening, you know, because, you know, there, there, weren't, there wasn't a patient population coming in during those months and therefore rescheduling their next year's exam during the same month. So, you know, as providers being proactive around looking at uh, how how you get caught up on that volume and how you actually spread it out across the, the coming year for that one annual, you know, uh, uh, screening visit that's supported by insurance in the U.S. at least, you know, and how you're going to spread that back out in the coming years. It's going to take some time, actually. You're right, Eric. We're, in fact, at, at a couple of the sites, that is explicitly what we're being asked to prepare for. So in other words, it's either, I think it's October is Breast Cancer Aware Month. And inside of that month, because of the backlog, they're expecting an unbelievable influx, right, of preventative services for, you know, breast screening to actually come in. So, and, and we're, we're definitely scaling up for that expectation. Yeah, good. All right, so next slide. What should we be doing? You know, I, I, I would say just to start on this, you know, we, we have a number of clients actually that are, are quite busy with, with actually taking the time to think around how they can be optimized. Uh, all, the, all the volumes, as you said, Larry, are, are coming back up. It's also a good opportunity to think about, uh, you know, how we better service, you know, the, the patients, uh, how we are proactive around scheduling the procedures, you know, how we're, how we're smarter around uh, scheduling the procedures so that the patients are coming in and they can keep social distancing and, you know, you're not sitting in a waiting room full of people for 30 plus minutes. Um, uh, and, and, and technology too, how, how we can leverage technology to, you know, further progress, you know, our, that future unknown as to if we're going to be in reading rooms next month or still reading from home. Um, so, you know, I think it's a good opportunity for, for everyone to, 
kind of take take a step back and and think around how how we can improve the system and what we need to do to invest in improving that system. I I would agree with you again, Eric. The I think the providers actually need to take a step back. First, they got to convince the patient to come back. The second item is they got to we as a healthcare um, group of individuals need to stop thinking service line, right? Think all, don't, don't think ology, don't think service line, think enterprise. If you purchase an application, make sure that application replaces and decommissions four or five. So in other words, I use this mathematical um, arithmetic that I call one plus one must equal at least minus one. You know, we need to stop writing these checks that don't have to be written anymore. So we should be able to remove those. The other thing is just a, it, it's a historical buying pattern, right? That we've seen in the providers where, you know, when I first started out in this business in, in 88, it was a, you know, everybody bought their first packs. And then eight years later, they, they got upset with their packs and they bought another packs. And then eight years later after that, they got upset with that packs and they bought another packs. And we're right back there now again with some organizations that they're looking right back at the same type of technology. If you look at the base for a lot of the existing technologies, they're very siloed, right? They focus on one thing and one thing only. They do it well, but inside of that, they, they don't focus on all the service lines for the entire provider organizations. More importantly, they don't do this interoperability requirement that's definitely being demanded by, you know, ONC and, you know, for reading for meaningful use. So being able to, you know, step back and approach it from an enterprise versus a service line is the thing that organizations must do. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I can only say the most is the biggest challenge that, that providers have today is do nothing, you know, do absolutely nothing, business as usual. And obviously that broke, right? That broke, that it broke your revenue stream. It's breaking your ability to gain back revenue. It's also breaking the ability for the patient, right? To actually receive their services in a safe environment. So we need to think much differently. I agree, well stated, I agree. Actually, on on that on that comment, maybe Anthony, I will hand it back to you. Um, and we appreciate everyone's time. Anthony, are there were there any questions from the audience? Uh, we're going to encourage people to send in their questions, but I am going to ask you guys some questions until we get some in. Um, so yes, right now we are in a question and answer phase. So. Certainly, if you've got anything you'd like to ask our guests, uh, go ahead, type it in, and I'm sure we will get some robust answers. Um, Larry, let me start. I'll actually probably have both of you guys, win, but Larry, let me start with you, because um, you talked a little bit about uh, about each angle. You talked about organizations having to be ready for a massive influx of people rescheduling patients, right? And they gotta make sure they can handle that. You also talked about the fact that there's uh, a lot of fear out there 
with people not being comfortable going back in. So how do you reconcile those two? Because it can't be both, right? You're either going to get everybody rushing back in or they're going to be crickets. Great question. So, so what we've seen is actually the provider organizations turn it into, in essence, uh, an upfront marketing campaign. They've actually gone back and looked at the books and find out, you know, you know, existing studies that have been canceled or last year's, you know, appointment calendar for preventatives actually called those patients and then attempted to schedule, you know, in line for, for a makeup, shall I say, to be able to catch up. So great question. And you're spot on. Correct. It's a, it's a chicken and egg problem. Yeah. Right. And, and the ability to actually get back to those patients, communicate with those patients, get them in, you know, for preventative studies to avoid, like Eric was talking about, you know, next year, next, the, win- the winter of 21, right, for mammography. That's, that's just a, that's a disheartening thought. You know what I mean? Well, uh, Eric, I think the even bigger concern would be there is no mass uh, return to this, I think if if that happens, okay, but that sort of keeps everything going. People start coming back in. Hospitals have revenue of business. I think the 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 scarier um, vision is what perhaps to me might be the more likely vision, which is there is no mass return, and and then what? So what do you think, Eric? Yeah, yeah, you know, I I think there is going to be a return, but I think there are again. This is an opportunity. This is this is an opportunity for the providers that, you know, there's going to be the providers that are, as Larry said earlier, sit back and kind of do nothing and wait, or there's going to be those providers that are proactive in their approach and designing what the new waiting room is going to be like and, and adopting technologies and enable them to better communicate with their patient and amongst the operational team and, and the providers themselves. And it's going to be those those providers as they're reaching out to their patients and saying, by the way, we've thought about this and this is the process when you come to visit, you know, it's important for you to have that screening or come for that annual exam or, or, or get that, you know, hip replaced, which although may be elective, may be a, a quality of life thing for many, many people as to what they can do. So, you know, is it, we talked about this a little bit, you know, prior to starting this, but, but, uh, you know, I think it's going to be those providers that spend the time and in investing and in thinking it through and reaching out and and investing in the technology and and the workflows, the human workflows that you know support the new norm that uh, are are going to really help advance the healthcare system. Yeah, I think those are great points, Eric and and Larry. As we discuss this, what I'm thinking is that. Healthcare systems are going to have to act much more like competitive businesses that are trying to increase revenue than ever before. And that's a huge shift. If you used to be passive, everyone came to you. Okay, you didn't have to do a tremendous amount of outreach. They came. Um, Now you've got a customer. I'm going to call them customers for the purpose of our discussion here because I think it's more apt. Now you've got a customer population that is very reluctant to come to your business and obtain your service. So to me, it thinks not only do you have to make the environment more friendly or safer, 
do those things that, that will make people comfortable, but also you have to let them know that's all got to be coordinated. You can't just do it. And then the people calling them to come back in didn't get the script. Nobody made the script. It's really, you have to run like a business now. Absolutely correct. And, you know, even as, as Eric was describing, just the waiting room experience is so much different, right? You, you can have, there's an inside waiting room, there's an outside waiting room, right? You have to have social distancing inside and outside, which means the arrival rates, you know, have to be very uh, um, well-tuned, shall I say. And we all know, typically it's the, the scheduling systems, why it may say an 11 o'clock appointment, you probably don't get in till 20 after 11.30. Well, that, that game has to be played a bit differently now, you know? And then certainly with modality-based reservations, right? If you're going to have a modality service or study of some sort, that's an even harder play, right? To be able to schedule those, you know, physical units um, inside of that spaced out timeframe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost was built on the process of, I mean, I've been waiting with my father when he was alive. I remember waiting hours in a crowded waiting room for him to get a scan. So that, that can't happen anymore. You can't have a crowded room. Uh, I don't know if you can have somebody waiting for hours in their car, maybe. Eric, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, actually, I do, I do think there's going to be more waiting from cars, actually. Uh, but but I, I also think, you know, not to harp on the scheduling, but, you know, it used to be, you know, maybe you are a screening mammography breast imaging practice and you have six rooms and you, you have an eight o'clock schedule at eight. You know, I, I schedule all rooms at eight o'clock and then I schedule them all for 8.15. I schedule them all for 8.30. You know, you may now have to do, let's schedule at eight o'clock, 8.05, 8.10. You know, you might have to stagger stagger it, you know, because you still need to actually up your volume. Anyways, it, you know, I think we need to be smart about, you know, I, again, I think those providers that think about it and and put together a plan and they're proactive and they're outreach to to patients, you know, are going to, uh, you know, have a better future and help this health system come back around on this. And I think there will be some innovation along the way as well. That's going to, uh, you know, help advance the, the care system. So. Larry, you said the worst thing you can do is keep doing what you've always been doing. Is that, yeah. I mean, anytime the environment changes and you keep doing what you've been doing, if, Let's say you had been doing things well in the, that environment. We have to accept that that environment doesn't exist anymore, right? That's not a trademark of healthcare organizations, rapid change. Uh, but I think some of them are doing it. So um, do you have any more specific thoughts? I mean, we talked about some of the stuff, but like low-hanging fruit type things, things that, hey, you need to be thinking about doing these things just to get started in the new world. And if you aren't, you're gonna be in trouble. Well, I think most importantly, their capital budgets pretty much went to zero, right? That's the first thing that typically got cut. So taking a step back and thinking about how do we approach in, you know, the acquisition or the purchase of anything new um, in a different type of model. The second option I then I would think about is all those exams that we canceled, that should be the first callback list, right? Go out, seek those patients out, bring them back, try and generate revenue to try and bring them in. 
Then the third option is to, what I would say, take this time to actually look at the, the new purchases and make sure they're, they're, again, they're not specific to a single service line. They're not a siloed-based approach. That's what got us here. That's what is causing the costs of, you know, um, not just the infrastructure, but even the application MS support, you know, that's, that's going on. You know, I know a couple of organizations, for example, they have thousands of applications that are running 24 by 7, of which they may only use, say, 1,100. Well, that means, you know, they have, you know, a, another eight or 900 applications just sitting there, chewing, uh, chewing electricity that have access to patient data, but nobody's using, and they can't shut them off because they have patient data. So start to think about approach of when I'm going to go to market for a new solution, how can I actually pay for this solution through not through soft dollar savings, but through real physical let's stop writing check savings? How can I actually stop writing checks to five people and consolidate that inside of one common and based environment. So I call it thinking from service line to thinking shift of thinking to the enterprise. You know, it's a much bigger picture. You know, the financial industry went through this, this change, you know, in the early eighties, right? If, if you, a stock, stock transaction used to take, you know, three to five days to settle out. When I, when I left uh, Ziegler and I went to Fidelity, they gave me a 12 inch floppy and printed my records and I went over and they transferred it a couple of days later through the Fed. My gosh, that's healthcare today with CDs and transferring of records. You know, if you listen to what ONC's expectation of or their interoperability roadmap of a learning health system, a learning health system is an environment that not only feeds itself, but dynamically locates patients and access to patient information. So, you know, the head of CMS at a Chime event, she stood up there and she said, here is my expectation by 2025. My expectation is I live on the East Coast. I have a health event on the West Coast. I take my smartphone. I one tap it. My records are shared. That's her vision and that's her drive towards interoperability. That's the meaning behind it. The onus is actually being placed on the providers and most of the providers don't realize it. So what will end up ha happening, Anthony, is very similar to what happened with the EMR, where all these organizations got stuck having to provide an EMR service for an EHR. Now, what ended up happening then is technology that was built in the mid 70s is what's actually taken place and taken hold inside of there. And we, we kind of had to swallow that technology and pave whatever we had to pay to get the utilization of it. It's time to take a step back in the provider organizations and drive the vendors towards something new that actually fixes my problem instead of you know, repeating the same problems of the past. Yep. Eric? Yeah, I was going to say too. You know, pre-COVID, I I heard from so many providers. Oh, we can't we can't have our radiologists reading from home. You know, we can't have our radiologists reading from home. Um, but now here we are. You know, and that that is reality today. And I think 
you know, the priority needs to be on modernizing the infrastructure, the technology across the enterprise and, and cons, you know, consolidating that enterprise data uh, so that we can, you know, shift and adjust because, you know, I, I think as we see, again, there's, it's a bit unknown right now as to what it's going to be like next week. Um, and having those modern capabilities is going to be important and just staying stagnant like we once were, you know, is not going to provide the patient care we all need to provide. So I was just thinking, um, it's kind of interesting to me that, uh, you know, we always knew that there's a, a problem with competition in healthcare and that it doesn't really work as well as it does in the private sector. Right. I mean, if there's a health, a big health system there with good reputation that's in close proximity, works out with your insurance, that's where you're going. Uh, they could provide you with maybe not the best service and you weren't going to drive to health system, you know, the other health system. In most areas in the country, you don't have that great a consolidation of health systems that you can pick. I'm going to go over there. Uh, so they had some sort of, there could be some sort of complacency there because there wasn't a lot of places to go and people weren't leaving for the other place. But now if, if you don't create an environment where people are comfortable, both practicing medicine, you mentioned uh, giving radiologists options that becoming a competitive issue. People are trying to attract them to work there. Well, one place says you can work from home. The other place says you can't. So you have to be able to attract radiologists. You have to be able to attract patients. So my point is that when there was not much competition, you didn't really have to worry. But now if you've got people not going at all, that's a big problem because they could just say, I'm not comfortable. Yeah, I could get this scan or not. I'll hope for the best. I'm not coming in. So now you have a, yeah, you have a real danger to your revenue stream that maybe didn't exist before. So you really, does that sound different than things used to be, Larry? Actually, that, this is something that we were probably seeing even pre-COVID where we were seeing a shift to high deductibles and we were seeing the consumerization of healthcare right in the payments. When mm -hmm. that happened, and I can just speak of, for me, my personal experience, I, I, had, I had two rotator cuff surgery, one on my left shoulder, one on my right shoulder. And when that happened, the first MRI was 1800 bucks. The second MRI was $600. And oh, by the way, it was the same tech, the same scanner, the same orthopedic group, and it was only nine months apart. Wow. The difference was I had a secondary choice and I went to that secondary choice. I got a quote. I brought the quote to the orthopedic provider. They matched the quote. <laughs> and why? Because I'm paying the high deductible, right? Me personally, I have a high deductible type of healthcare and, and it's money out of pocket. So I said, you know, maybe it's worth the five minutes that it took me to just actually shop around, take a call. And, and, and it worked. And I think you're going to actually see more of that to continue. And you'll start to see a quantitative or a, um, a, a lessening of the cost or the burden on the actual patient. We, we've always, in the past, because it was always assimilated by either by our, our employer or by the healthcare provider that was you know, affiliated with the employer, we never saw the problem. Now, as we feel that burden, now we, we, it's my money, right? So I'm going to pay attention to it. 
Yeah, so it's my money, and I don't know if I want to go back in. So, number one, you got to convince me that I really need to get this done, really need to get it done. Number two, you've got to convince me that it's safe to get it done. And number three, you've got to convince me that, I, that it, I'm either getting a decent price or I can afford this, or somehow you care that you're not robbing me. So you've got maybe three things you've got to get done. Eric, I'm going to give you the last word. We're going to get, I'll, I'll give you each a, a final thought, but Eric, your response to that. Uh, you know, I think it's it's been well stated. I, I do think the patient population is, you know, going to be moving around <clears throat> as we continue through our recovery of COVID. And, and you know, I, I think all the comments made are very valid. You know, Larry, Larry also talked about the marketing piece. You know, I think it's 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 going to be important that, you know, these, the providers get that message out. You know, we, you know, patients, we have a plan, we know how to care for you, we, we're adjusting our schedules and how, how we see you, you know, at the facility. Um, and by the way, we know you're, you're late on your screening procedure or your, or your teeth cleaning or your whatever it may be, um, you know, and, 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 and getting, the, getting the patients back in. And I think those being proactive about it are going to be the ones that, you know, are going to be providing the better care and, and patient populations may shift around to them. Larry, any final thought? Yeah, I actually think we're moving towards um, what I'll call the healthcare portfolio, right? And I need a manager for my healthcare portfolio. I have one for my financial portfolio. I don't have one. In fact, they rely upon me, which is a really mm -hmm. bad idea, right? <laughs> I am probably, I am a horrible patient, right? I'm just a horrible patient. I need somebody to actually direct me, you know, towards healthcare. The the closer I get to retirement, which is coming sooner than I think, um, but the closer I get to retirement, the more I need that. So I'm looking towards healthcare provider-based organizations for one that can actually manage my health portfolio instead of manage only when I'm sick. Yeah, I agree with that. And if they can throw in handling the insurance aspect of it, that takes a lot off my mind too, because right. that is a whole nother nightmare that people don't want to deal with. Um, well, great conversation today. Um, so we're going to wrap up here regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck for your CEU needs. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for future events. With that, I want to thank our speakers. Great conversation today, Eric Rice and Larry Sitka. And I want to thank our sponsors, Vital Accounting Group Company and Paragon Consulting Partners. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.